Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Last Friday marked six months since the coronavirus pandemic was declared, which for many Americans means six months of either risking exposure to go to work as essential employees or six months working remotely from a repurposed kitchen table or other spot in their homes while also potentially balancing family care or isolation. Unfortunately, without a vaccine and with cases still spreading, the end of the pandemic in the U.S. isn't in sight, which means companies and employees who are able to work remotely need to get comfortable doing so. But there's more to it than just buying a webcam or a real office chair for remote workers, according to Laura Dribben, founder of Peridius Consulting, and Raquel Pittman, general manager at Peridius Consulting. It's also about setting boundaries, inspiring innovation, and preserving culture, while also determining if all those extra video conferences, emails, and long lists of CC recipients, and even office space are necessary. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Laura and Raquel break down the impact of the near overnight shift to remote working for many companies and employees. They also outline strategies for making the best of the current situation, including advice on how to drive innovation and productivity while protecting against burnout, and also how to preserve or evolve a company's culture as needed. So while the initial shift to remote working for many companies and employees was disconcerting and more than a little frustrating, Laura lauds businesses for acting quickly to keep employees safe and notes that the fast transition wouldn't have been possible without the flexibility provided by video conferencing and other enhanced technology. Typically, I would say that businesses don't do change very well. They all want to do change, make change, but they actually don't execute change quickly. Uh, change is painful for most people and most companies. Um, but given COVID, this has to be one of the fastest transformations um, that I have ever experienced in my lifetime. Um, and I would have to say that given um, the situation, I'd have to rate it pretty, give it a pretty high grade for businesses that reacted um, quickly to be able to continue operations. And so um, for that, in that manner, uh, I think businesses um, made the change pretty quickly. I'm not going to say it was perfect. I'm not saying it's even perfect now. We're still, we're starting to see some cracks in the uh, foundation. But at this point in time, I do believe that um, businesses made a change quickly. If you had, if this had happened five years ago, I don't think you would have seen the same results um, as what you see now. They uh, Zoom with the Zoom and um, Microsoft Teams and other um, applications that allowed this video conferencing has allowed uh, has opened up the doors to um, be able to work better remotely. Five years ago, that wasn't those tools weren't really readily available. And it might have been a different situation at the time. But the technology has allowed um, uh, us to transition quickly. Um, you know, shortages of IT equipment where everyone now has to be uh, outfitted to, um, 
I'll put their remote workers with laptops and connectivity, but otherwise it's gone relatively well. Despite any initial or ongoing discomfort with remote working, Lauren knows that the shift has brought many benefits, both for workers and companies, including enhanced productivity, flexibility, and potential cost savings. The biggest win is productivity is up. Um, you have, we, you know, it's been proven out that remote workers can still be productive when not being in the office. Workers are getting more work done um, because um, they're working longer hours in some cases. They no longer have that commute that was um, eating up some of the time where they could, um, they're now sitting at the desk during their commute, quote unquote, commute time. Um, they're less distracted. Um, you know, there's not that, um, that uh, water cooler effect where people are up and down and people are walked by and they, they talk. So, so you're also starting to see a phenomenon of people moving. Um, you know, um, I live in the city, but there's a lot of people that are moving out of the city because they want more space in the suburbs that, um, the, because of COVID. Um, and they don't have that commute anymore to uh, necessarily tr um, turn them away from making that move. And I, more importantly, I have seen a number of people personally that I know um, and, and reading more about it, that people are moving to their retirement locations, places where they figured they would be when they retired um, because they can work remote right now. They're, on the business side, I think a number of companies are all excited because they believe they may be able to cut their costs by cutting their office footprint and reducing the cost of their, their lease. But for each of these benefits, Laura warns there are trade-offs, some of which can cause long-term damage to companies and individuals. For example, she notes while remote working has improved productivity, it's hindered innovation. While productivity definitely goes up when people are remote, uh, innovation tends to go down. And what that means and why that happens is pretty understandable. Um, innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum. Innovation tends to require collaboration, people working off of each other to make the ideas better. And that's rather hard to duplicate on Zoom. Zoom is probably a very distant second to being face-to-face -face when you're trying to ideate and innovate. So to me, that's the biggest concern I have of people making a judgment that we're going to all be 100% remote. Um, so uh, you know, I, I think that there has to be some thought around who can be remote and who shouldn't be remote. As for innovation, I, I will tell you, I don't know of any other solution than an actual face-to-face. -face. So where I hear a lot of companies saying, oh, we don't need um, um, office space anymore because everyone can work remote. I, I think people are jumping the gun. Companies are jumping the gun. I think companies should be looking at roles. If you're doing an operational day-to-day -day, um, task, um, like um, customer service, a call center, great. You might not need to be in the office in that situation then. But if you are dealing with strategy or a problem-solving type of role, or even what we do, um, we manage uh, 
transformational type of initiatives. At the very beginning, at the minimum, you need to gather people together to make sure they understand what the goals are. That kickoff session is vital. And meeting people face-to-face -face gets you further with, um, in, in getting your work done. So somehow, when COVID is over, or even now, maybe with social distancing, some of those face-to-face -face conversations probably are still needed. Another downside to the increase in production while working remotely is that it comes at the cost of work-life balance, with, as Laura mentioned, many employees working much longer days. Work-life um, balance has taken on a, a, a different meaning now. Um, there is no divide. At the very beginning of, of the sequester, um, you would find that people um, were working really hard. And part of that was because they're remote, they're, they're focused. But the other part was there was also a fear. I don't know if you know, I'm going to have a job here soon. So that is a motivator at the beginning to really work your butt off in order to ensure that you are showing that you are um, um, that you're a value add to the to your company, this level of working uh, is not sustainable. People are starting to burn out six months into this. Um, it, it's very hard to tell your boss, "I can't take that call at seven o'clock at night. Uh, I'm going to dinner." No, no, you're not. Nobody's going anywhere. We know you're not. <laughs> So it, it becomes hard for people to create a work-life balance in, in that standard um, meaning of, you know, when you're at work, you, you get in your car or you get on the train and you go home and you may have some work left over, but you are disconnected. Your work is your home now. And that's very hard for many people to um, create a proper divide. To help employees set healthy boundaries and avoid burnout, Laura recommends companies evaluate their approach to meetings and, where possible, reduce them or at a minimum ensure that the people who attend actually need to be there. Not everyone needs to be in every meeting. And I think with Zoom meetings and remote, everybody is adding more people to the distribution list than might need to be there. If you are someone who just needs an update, but isn't a decision maker on that uh, particular topic, you probably don't need to be in that meeting. You can um, look at the, the, um, the meeting notes afterwards if needed, or your manager can make a point of updating everyone on what's going on with the meeting that you're not attending. There can be some other forms of commun communication rather than having you sit in there as a, um, um, as a quiet observer. And I think because people don't want employees to feel left out, they are, the distribution lists have grown quite large. And no different than pre-COVID, I would say make sure you, you need to be in the meeting because you have something to add. Otherwise, um, you shouldn't be there. So that, that's one thing I think companies should start really taking a look at. Do you really need to have seven hours of Zoom meetings in an eight-hour workday? Probably not. The other thing is I would say block out some of your time, especially, well, across the board, but especially if you're a leader. So I would say block out 
a couple hours, whatever you can on a daily basis and tell your team that if you have a, a, a quick question, call me during that time or instant message me during that time. Don't set up a half-hour meeting for a five-minute question. And if your, your team understands that you're always available during that time for quick questions, then um, it, it saves everybody's schedule a little bit. And it gives you, and it makes you accessible. Laura also notes that while seeing people in meetings through video conferencing adds a layer of connection and does enhance communication, it can also be fatiguing. So she reminds companies that not every meeting needs to be a video conference. Some can be phone calls, which would give attendees a chance to stretch their legs and take a walk while talking, or at a minimum, not need to fret about smiling and sitting up straight through the entire meeting. So while scrapping meetings to free up time might seem like a no-brainer to some, a less obvious but just as helpful strategy for ensuring employees have better work-life balance is to actually add meetings. While this sounds counterintuitive, Raquel explains that kickoff and sign-off meetings at the beginning and the end of the day can help ritualize and therefore compartmentalize the workday for many remote employees. You may need to think about actually changing your organization in some ways. And um, I have a friend who um, at the beginning of the day, they've kind of ritualized this thing where everyone checks in at the beginning of the day to let them know that everything's well and they've started working. And, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea, I think, to to do that at the end of the day. I'm on this, um, I started intermittent fasting (laughs) where you, you know, fast for a period of the day and then you start eating it during a certain time period. And every time you break the fast, you can share your your meal with, you know, the group of people on the app. And, you know, maybe at the end of the day, um, you ritualize signing off from your organization and uh, with a meal or a beverage or, you know, a kid in your lap, a picture or something like that. But really making sure that your employees know that you mean it and that you set up, um, you know, rituals or practices around the checkout and and taking the PTO and, and those types of things, I think can help people understand that you, you really mean it and kind of give them the permission and a little pressure to uh, to do that, to take that time off. Raquel also notes that companies may need to apply similar pressure to employees to take their pay time off even though they can't go anywhere, to ensure that they have a chance to decompress. One of the other things organizations can do to help to encourage work-life balance is really encourage them to take their PTO, um, take time off. We might not be able to get you to have an eight-hour work day, but we want to make sure that you are getting time off to recover, recoup, just decompress and spend time with um, people you care about, particularly if you're isolated. One of the one of the characteristics of COVID that kind of distinguish it from just a, a work from home policy is the fact that number one, it was unanticipated, and number two, you know, to Laura's point, there's no place else for you to go. You may not be able to stay with your parents if they're elderly or if you have kids and you're in a hospital or, you know, so you may really be socially isolated. So we want to make sure that you can peel away from the desk 
and actually address some of these issues that, you know, you may need other, you may need to decompress in different ways than you would traditionally. Just as important as preserving employees' work-life balance is preserving companies' cultures, which can be at risk without a shared space, cautions Raquel. Maintaining a culture um, during COVID is probably um, predicated on a few things. One, you know, it's going to tell it's going to tell an organization, you know, do you really have a cohesive culture or is it really a gimmick? You know, is it the free lunch, the beverages, <laughs> alcoholic and non, the snacks, the speakers you have in, you know, the buzz around your company? Or do you really have a strong, cohesive culture where everyone is behind the mission and really driven to help move a purpose forward? Um, I think the other thing that is important for a culture, a cohesive culture that is maintained through a a change like this, a paradigm shift like this is um, strong middle managers. So middle managers with strong relationships with their direct reports and um, senior leaders that listen. Um, Authentic relationships with your people will help you really enhance everything. So the communication plan you set up Um, you know, that you take a couple weeks to set up and design to make sure everyone's on the same page really goes out the window if you don't have the kind of relationship that allows you to really um, put that into place um, for people to be engaged and listen and provide feedback. Um, The other thing I think that's important is, is a leader, middle or senior, that's willing to kind of extend the scope of their management accountability to, at the very least, identifying mental stress and health. I think previous to the pandemic, we really felt that, you know, your personal life is your personal life, benefits, HIPAA, um, not that those things are not um, important or or not still valid, those boundaries aren't valid, but I, I think we all are having more conversations about um, the state of your resources, mental health, and the stress, and how long this can be sustained. And that's not just from a business model perspective, but, you know, uh, a strong performer, um, you want to make sure they're okay. Um, so I think um, a cohesive culture is tested and a gimmicky culture is revealed, I guess, from from the pandemic and, and how a company may um, may survive, that culture actually survives. And I think these are the things, you know, to Laura's point that you really need to look at when you're considering whether to, to make the move to a pure remote um, workforce or, you know, the hybrid. Who do you choose to stay um, in headquarters or, or not? Who needs that connection or not? Because, um the decision to move can be pretty expensive, and, and we're not really just talking about money at that point. Um, people need to understand um, that the organization um, still still has the same mission, but you may need to communicate it differently. You may need to engage your resources differently. Um, and And part of that engagement may be really addressing concerns on, 
you know, how do we address this need for connection that we know is there, whether it's social or professional or developmentally, like for organizations that really depend on an apprentice model, uh, a remote a remote workforce is going to be it's going to be really difficult for them. They're going to be hurting in that scenario. So, you know, rather than look at um, trying to save that that money, maybe we double down and work figure out a way to enhance the workplace so that those people, resources, roles that need connection can do that in a safe manner, can be socially distant, can can have the um, ventilation necessary, the the sanitation necessary, all of those things can be addressed, communicated. Um, and again, that your organization can or your, your resources can trust that it's safe, that they will be safe, and that you that's an important thing for you as a, as a company. As the pandemic stretches on, Laura encourages companies and managers to think not only about how to make employees more comfortable now, but also what they and the business will need in the future once the coronavirus is no longer a threat. In deciding whether to break an office lease and go all remote all the time, or to call everyone back to the office when it's safe to do so, Laura recommends that companies think first about their goals and next about what roles would benefit from face-to-face interaction and which ones can continue remotely working without suffering. Ultimately, she said the decision about whether to remain remote or come back to the office after the pandemic is over is not an all-or-nothing decision. The model can be a hybrid, and it can be fluid to evolve as employees and in companies' needs require. With that, we reach the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week, and to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.